Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 9, Subspace Rhapsody. Jazz hands. I was about to remark on the fact that you were doing jazz hands on fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, and that's so appropriate. Annika, happy 150th episode. Wow! I know. I am extremely impressed with us. Me too. Like, cheers. 100%. And we get to talk about a very special episode of Strange New Worlds. And Star Trek. And Star Trek. I am of the impression that you are a musical person. You're a theatre kid. I am very much a theater kid. Mm. So when I say that I, in high school, only listened to Broadway, (laughs) that is not much of an exaggeration. It was like Broadway, Whitney Houston, and Belinda Carlisle. This is the most precious. And honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yes. I I legitimately did not change my musical tastes until I grew out of my musicals only phase when Mm. I, you know, went to college and and found like the wide world of real music. But I also studied musical theater in college, so I never really gave up on it. Right. Uh, I legitimately almost went to school for musical theater. Uh, I was accepted into Emerson College's musical theater program. And if I had gone there, I would have been at Emerson College at the same time as Terry Metalis. Oh, oh, there's a misconnection. Maybe different. (laughs) Maybe I would be the the showrunner (laughs) for Star Trek for Cards season three. You know what? I think you're a better writer this way. It makes Terry Metalis more my mirror universe. It really, really does. That's scary. It's a little scary. But anyway, I did not. I went to Brandeis where Gates McFadden mm-hmm. went and also taught. Yes. And I was a theater arts major. I um, specialized, however, in dance. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to come up in this episode because there's just not enough dancing. Yeah. I want to go to the dancing universe. <laughs> I think we'll find that Beverly Crusher is the empress of that universe. Exactly. <laughs> but yes, so I was immersed in musical theater. Mm-hmm. You know, my father was a professor of theater. Uh, musicals were not his mainstay, but he certainly didn't, uh, you know, he accepted them as stagecraft right and i was just i'm a little theater nerd was in every possible uh version of drama club and that wasn't enough in my off time i made up my own (laughs) theater production extremely off broadway productions and i made up my own musicals and one of them was (laughs) Star Trek. I love this, though. Honestly, more than one of them was about Star Trek. (laughs) 
there was a next generation one and then there was one that was about uh the pandora principle the, the, the novel that i have mentioned many times as being my favorite Amazing. novel as a child i also made that into a musical so i made spot sing before strange new worlds did i'm very proud of you I'm kind of the opposite in that up until about two weeks ago, I hated musicals and was on the record as saying the genre is bad and should feel bad. And then I thought, wouldn't it be more satisfying for me and for our listeners and also much funnier if I became a musical person in two weeks? So I watched a lot of YouTube videos about the history of the genre and I listened to a lot of cast recordings of different musicals from different decades and I watched bootlegs. And so now I understand why I don't always connect with musicals and I understand more about the genre and I think it's really funny that Subspace Rhapsody almost does a shortcut through the work that I did in terms of going, this is a musical. We sing, (laughs) we talk, we act. There's a lot of romance. And it really is kind of the uh, classic romance musical, uh, sort of your Rodgers and Hammerstein, your Sondheim, but not as good. Like I listened to a lot of Sondheim and then I was like, I'm actually – shooting myself in the foot here because nothing Strange New Worlds does can be as good. It was better than I expected. I think it was bad, but it was bad because it was Strange New Worlds, not because it was a musical. Does that seem fair to you? I mean, I think that's a really fun way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say, as someone who has studied musical Mm theatre, it was deliberate and important Mm. That Anything Goes was the song yes. that started this. Mm. They were making a choice and they were saying, not Sondheim, mm. Mm. <laughs> not even Andrew Lloyd Webber. Definitely not. <laughs> we're going right for the core of musicals, which mm. are about romance, which are about singing your identity, which are about dance breaks for no reason. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was very, very clear to me as soon as we got Anything Goes that it was like, oh, I see where we're going with this. It yes. wasn't even Gilbert and Sullivan. No, <laughs> no. And I really loved that number one got to name check them because one of the things that I learned is that the difference between a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta and a book musical is that the operetta is sung through, whereas the book musical has dialogue and, and so forth. And uh, I feel like this actually had too much dialogue. This musical was too talky. Interesting, interesting. I, I want to, I want to unpack that a little. I want to go through, and mm, I have, mm. uh, I have, and I'd say that's a, that's, that's fun. There were a few times that I agree mm. that I was like, "Why are you talking? This yeah. could be a song." But also, most of the talking parts had a lot of impact. And yeah. So it's, it was like I also liked that the. The musicalness of it didn't take away from the impact, the character beats. No. And in fact, it really did feel like a very early musical in that you have a bunch of characters going through almost unrelated things through song. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. And our identity theme is well on display here. They are (laughs) singing about their identities. I mean, that's pretty much what Uhura says. Yeah, yeah. She's like, so Uhura and La'an 
on both sides of the equation, Uhura understanding musicals and La'an realizing immediately <laughs> that it was a security threat. Mm. Both of them explain very well that the issue is that the inhibitions mm. that we normally have are being thrown into like a musical machine. They're being put to music and they rhyme and they are being put out on display for everyone. All that mm. stuff that we're not supposed to say out loud is yes. having a spotlight mm. put right on it because that's what musicals do. I was going to say, that is actually why I, I've realised why I have trouble connecting with the musical as a genre in that so much of it is like, here is a character you have just met and here are all their feelings. And I'm like, oh, oh no, I need to get to know someone before I see this many feelings. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. But also I think uh, if you watch a show live or even watch a bootleg of a stage production, you can connect with those emotions much more easily than through a, a cast recording. And so yes. that's that. That's my little tip for any non-musical people out there. I think that's very true. Because the thing about like live theatre in general, both if it's a musical or if it's a play, is that every night is different. Yes because there's a different energy that the audience brings and mm. there's the the feelings that that person went through during that day mm. you know what happened to them they're rehearsed and they're going to put on the show the same way that they have always done but it's always going to be slightly different and that's mm. what's sort of magical about being on the stage yeah and yeah. that is harder to translate to screen so even like a screen musical is not going to be the same that is exactly what i was going to say i think that there's academia on this you've probably read it that the stage itself is like a box that says nothing that happens in here is real whereas a screen is a box in our house that says hey for the purpose of the next 45 to 60 minutes to two hours this is real and that's weird that makes and that's weird yeah it's that breaking the fourth wall, even if you don't break the fourth wall, the fact that you can see the wall yes, <laughs> when you're in yes. a theater, that's what it is. Mm. You can't dismiss it because it's there. You are mm. sitting in a seat and you're watching something mm. that's putting on right on in front of you. And yeah. right now, we in Zoom are real and we have the same experience as watching television. Yes, yes. And even when I go to see a play, there's always that awkwardness at the very beginning of, oh, I am watching someone and they are pretending to be someone else and this is very uncomfortable. And some plays will lean into that. Like I saw Dorian Gray last year, the one woman show with Erin Jean Norville. If you're in the UK next year, Sarah Snook is doing it. I think it's going to be amazing. But Erin Jean is playing every single role. It starts off extremely cheesy with like swapping hats and props. And then within, I'd say, five minutes, you have forgotten that there is only one person physically on the stage. And I think that's the other thing that screen musicals need to incorporate in some way to bring the audience along. And I think they did that with the Status Report song. The Status Report song is one of the strongest. Yes, honestly. yes. It was a good introduction to what we're doing because the characters were experiencing the wait, what is happening mm. at the same time as the audience were, and yet they were also performing. Yes. I actually wish that there was less self-consciousness overall 
in the musical numbers. I wish that by the end they really had wholeheartedly embraced the musical and we didn't have not just the Klingons because I love the Klingons but I still felt like Pike and even La'an were holding back and I wish that they had just gone for it more than yeah, actually. Yeah, the, the finale is actually my least favourite. It's very because... weak. But I also, I will say that that is true of many musicals. Oh. That the finale song is often, it's like, it has to be the biggest, most explosive number. And like you set yourself up to mm. fail almost. Mm. Often the song before the end of the first act, the act break song is mm. usually the better mm. one. No, that makes... In my, in my opinion, obviously I am... <laughs> No, it's all no, very in, subjective, but in all the musicals that I listened to, was for me the the end of the first act was almost always the peak. But I really, really, really wanted the finale to be. I wanted the finale to be that song time. Mm. Like that's mm. I wanted it to turn into, or even Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber, but hit the melodrama of yes, uh, yes. I wanted that, and it didn't get there. It was just the same. Yeah, which is in some ways just pure Strange New Worlds. Like, I really think that the problems with this episode are Strange New Worlds problems, not musical problems. I think Kay, what's her face from Letters to Cleo and her co-writer, really did the best possible work with the songwriting. Mm -hmm. And, for example, did a much better job of supporting the weaker singers in the cast than the Buffy musical did. Yes. I mean, you could tell who the weaker mm. singers were. Oh, yeah. But also, it didn't linger. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I was fine with it. No one was so completely out of their league that I was like, mm. I can't handle this. <laughs> so. I do respect fine. that Babs basically letter, a note from his mum saying, please excuse Babs from musical this week. I he love- sang a note and he danced a step. And that was enough. <laughs> no, he also had the line, I don't sing. True. Yes. It was yes. great. He was like, no, I, I reject this. And obviously I feel a bit cheated because I love Mbenga, but given what we saw of his inner psyche last week, I really feel like uh, he spent that day in a room by himself when no one was going to have to yeah. be exposed to his feelings. He was like, and I hope he's okay. Oh, no. poor guy. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt like, particularly at first, the sound uh, set the music levels too high to to the point where it was hard to hear some lyrics, and I thought they were doing it to support the weaker singers, Anson Mount, but then they were doing it to poor Christina Chong, and she has an amazing voice. So that was a choice. Once you pointed it out, and I watched mm. it again, and I... I understood what you meant. Mm-hmm. But I will say that even knowing what you meant, it was hard for me to pull that out. And certainly watching it the first time, I could tell something was off, but it didn't bother me. Or, or mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I've said many times that they, they do VFX or they do like a shot of the ship going by or something. And people are like, oh my gosh, it's out of proportion. And I'm like, I literally don't notice. Right. It was the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I literally don't notice. Like, I think I mainly noticed because I had rewatched those old scientists and on the second viewing I found the music a little too 
obvious there and th- that made me pay attention to the music overall and I thought it was fine in Under the Cloak of War and then here obviously I'm paying attention to the music. Also like obviously the music cues were mm, important. Yeah. It was important that when the music started something was happening like be- that happened a few times the music started before they started singing and, and characters noticed mm. they were like oh it's the music yeah <laughs> and so I think that they, what they were trying to do was saying that the universe that they were existing in at this time was creating this music and the music was mm. so all-encompassing that it was forcing them to go along with it and they and they had no shields mm. or or you know they couldn't stop it from happening and so the music was supposed to be intrusive from your perspective like I get that it was too much but I think that mm. was what they were going I think the purpose of it was I, like it was a gimmick. And yeah, not just... no, that makes sense. Yeah. And I was like, I, I saw some reviews from more, more musically educated people saying that they could hear like pitch correction and other digital tricks that music producers can do to support weak singers. I was completely oblivious to any of that. I can tell that Jess Bush is not, does not have an amazing voice but she kind of actually does for like pop rock. So if Jess Bush released an album, I would 100% listen to that. Uh, That's what I mean when I say that the songwriters supported the weaker singers. They found her strength and wrote to it. Right, yes. I think that is true. And she was able to sell that whole thing with charisma. Yes. Like you can be a weaker singer or a weaker Mm. live singer. Like some singers are great in the studio, but then they go on, on con, you know, on tour, tour and their yeah. concerts are like mm. they're just they're not stage learned yeah. singers yeah. that's not their thing it's like hey i'm this person and so that's mm. what matters mm. and so yeah the famous example in australia is kylie minogue who is famously not an amazing live singer she's better than she was in the 80s obviously because she's worked very hard but in fact her sister danny has a stronger voice but no charisma Whereas Kylie is just one tiny ball of charisma. I would definitely like to go to a Kylie Minogue concert, so... Oh my god, me too. I'm, next time she tours, <laughs> I'm absolutely going. So, let's talk about the, the story overall. Uh, and it turns out that romance was the driving means of characterization this year because they were building up to a musical. It all makes sense now! It makes sense, but I'm also so annoyed! <laughs> We're failing the Bechdel test in song. I'm going to say that by the end, their final conversation, Mm. they had moved past Jim Kirk and into Mm. just Mm. people, (laughs) connecting with people. I think that the song was supposed to be, because they have that whole montage with the other people who aren't, like, mm. we're going to go over sick bay and they're connecting. We're going to go on the bridge and they're connecting. And it's like, look, here's Sad Agora and here's Pike flipping through pictures of camping and being sad. I can I'm sorry. He's he's so ridiculous. Anyway, we'll get to that. But I think their subplot was actually supposed to be about the two of them mm. and their realization that they can let people in and let down their guard and they don't have to be so serious all the time and it's okay. Mm. And that's where they eventually get, but Imagine, imagine if Una and La'an's plot happened without Jim Also, remember that this plot also happened for them in season one with Enterprise Bingo. 
They didn't learn from that, apparently. I guess because Una was still hiding who she was. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that the lesson that Una has taken from everything this season is that she needs to be true to herself and that she wants to pass that on to La'an. I just don't know that we've seen any evidence of that from Una this season because post-Ad Astra, she's barely been around. Whatever the plot needs Una to be this week, that's what Una is. And this, it was, I was like, this was a a breath of fresh air in the fact that what she was doing was Mm. about Una. And I was like, whoa, that's exciting. Well, it did occur to me that Rebecca Romain is one of the few cast members with a musical theatre background and therefore they could not sideline her. Not this time. I knew that we had to have Una and we had to have Uhura because they're the ones who have done musical (sighs) theatre. Anyway. I love La'an's arc and her extremely reluctant embrace of emotional vulnerability. I just wish there was more to it than James T. Kirk. And yeah. I don't even I don't even hate their relationship. I actually like that yeah. their friendship and good guy communicates, talks yeah. about things, James Kirk. Honestly, the Una and La'an interactions and the Kirk and La'an interactions mm-hmm. I think were the strongest. Yes. Of the whole episode, I think that Kirk and La'an have amazing chemistry and it doesn't need to be romantic. No. And they were adorable. They were sad. They were comfortable. It was really good. They had a, like the community, I was like, we're having an actual, this is what I mean when, like that could absolutely be a song, but I loved that it was dialogue. Yes, that was the scene where I was like, this is talky and it is talky for a reason. It's talky for a reason and it's so good. La'an is speaking her truth before she's forced to sing it. I loved that whole scene. I think that the two of them sold all of their interactions. Like, in the little, like, conferences Mm. at the table, they were super cute. Yes. And they were, like, on the same page. And everything about it was really, really good, mm. including their very serious conversation about, you know, in another universe, I would love doing laundry and taxes with you, but in this one, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> but, yeah, which I think, look, the Kirk's box shippers have been extremely unhinged about Carol and David. I think maybe it's possible some of them did not watch the whole of The Wrath of Khan, Anyway, I have never seen a version of The Wrath of Khan where Kirk did not know about David. We have talked about this. We had a mm. episode mm. about fathers and yes. had a whole conversation about how it was blatantly obvious that Kirk knew about David mm. Mm. and chose to respect Carol's choice for mm. him to not be involved. It came up with Beverly and Picard. Everyone was like, he's just like Kirk. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It is a completely different situation. (laughs) Anyway, I have a lot of feelings about that. No, same. Almost too many for this episode. Almost too many. to get through. But I've seen people talking about Kirk was flirting and Kirk was leading La'an on. I think Kirk was just being a friendly guy. Like, I know that we are a very misandrist podcast, but I... 
think we need to give Jim Kirk more credit for being a decent human being who is friendly to women without being inappropriately flirtatious or disrespectful and who thought La'an was approaching him as a friend and was into that and is very honest about the fact that he feels a connection with her and also that he is not in a place to pursue that right now. I really admire him for that. Look, Kirk, like Janeway, is a flirt. Mm. Default flirt. That's just how it is. Every interaction is going to be a little flirty, regardless of what the actual feelings are, because that's who he is. And I love him for it, honestly. Same way I love Mm. Janeway for it. Right. And, like, he didn't lead her on at all. He was very clear. Mm. They were connecting because they had a connection, because it was good. And you can have, like, there was no friend zoning. There was, like... I just, I can't handle people who, like, you can be in a fully committed relationship and still have feelings for other people. And that is normal. Right. And also, you can be in a fully committed relationship and have friends who are of the gender to which you're attracted. Like, that is allowed. I'm sorry, guys. It's legal. (laughs) I feel like sometimes fandom just, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this as well, uh, but fandom just watches things and doesn't pay attention and makes stuff up, and we'll talk about Christine Chapel later. I have a lot to say about Christine Chapel. First, speaking of women who deserve better and narratives that get made up in people's heads, I just want to save Marie Battelle from her terrible taste in men. I want to save Marie Patel from literally everything. I want to save her from Christopher Pike. Yes. I want to save her from Starfleet. I want to yes. save her from fandom for sure. Mm, In yeah. like every version of fandom, even people who allegedly like her are kind of terrible. I have seen so much nonsense about Marie the last few weeks and I don't understand why okay i actually feel like they are treating her as a sort of backup katrina cornwell in that she's a starship captain but she was also a jag officer and she sort of goes between the two just like cat goes from doctor to mm-hmm. therapist and back uh, admiral to therapist you know what i mean and there's a similar appearance the long straight brown hair she sort of has the same sort of relationship with pike as katrina thought she had with Lorca. and then this season it's being sort of shoehorned into a romance and this is why i'm sure she's going to die if not in the finale then soon but it just feels like they made a, a Katrina Cornwell-shaped character and they yes. didn't fill in the details. And I don't mean that as a criticism of Battelle as a character. I think she is a little underfleshed and there aren't the seeds of whatever drew me to Cat when she was a sketched-out character. Like 90% of Katrina Cornwell is stuff that I made up in my head. Right. And the thing is that I really like her. Yeah. Like, the more I see of her, the more I'm like, I want more of her and less of him. (laughs) That's the thing. The reason that I connected with Katrina was because she had this bond with Lorca and I was like, I completely understand, girl. I am totally on your side. And then with Marie, I'm like, she's got this connection with Pike and I'm like, do you have eyes? What is your brain doing? You seem like such a nice, smart lady. What is happening? 
Like it was one thing last season when they were friends with benefits, but this romance that they're trying to force just doesn't work for me. And you know I love het romance. He is not into it. No. (laughs) Like, remember how he had to lose all of his memories to be tricked into thinking that he actually cared Mm -hmm. about her? Mm Mm-hmm. I think he is still tricked. I think he yeah. he thinks he has mm. to care about her. And I don't think he does. He has a whole song about how he can't stop lying to her. Like, that to me is not a good foundation for a relationship. That is not boyfriend like, material. Okay, so I will say, though, for I agree with you that Insomout, not a strong singer. Mm-hmm. His song with Marie, which is barely a song. He is, like... You uh, you have this note that Spock doesn't have Kennergy, and I agree. Pike, in that scene, has a lot of Kennergy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He falls to the ground, and he does his little thing. He's like, and then he, like, stops when, when the music stops, and he's like, why did I do that? Like, that was extremely Ken of him. His hair has always yes. been Ken. And so I'm just like, wow, a Pike actually is Ken and he thinks that he's supposed to be in this relationship, but he's not. He's not no. supposed to be in this relationship. And she's definitely not supposed to be in this relationship. No, no. I don't understand why Pike, who is in a very dangerous job, who knows where he's going to be in 10 years and it's not happily married with a kid, who is still hung up on some level on Vina, not to mention all his other ex-girlfriends scattered around the galaxy. God forbid he have an ex-boyfriend. But why he thinks he needs to pursue this relationship with Marie? Why are they escalating from friends with benefits to a formal relationship when neither of them really seem excited about that? I, I get that it's hard to be a captain and, like, not be able to have a relationship with anyone mm. that you see most of the time. Mm. You're automatically forced into a long-distance relationship, and that is hard. And so she wants something, but it's they're trying to fit their relationship into this box mm. of what it's supposed to be, and that's a theme in this episode. Yes. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. And I just don't understand why these 23rd century people are trying to fit their relationship into a 20th century box. Do they want to settle down? Do they want to have kids? Why do they need this extremely basic romance? (sighs) It feels like Jerry Taylor writing, and I don't like that. Uh, speaking of women who deserve more in their relationships, let's talk about Christine Chapel, My love, my beloved. Who has done nothing wrong God, ever in her entire life. Nothing ever. Okay. I have so much to say about this. Now, first of all, I want to say that the Spock and Christine Chapel is completely different from the Pike and Patel uh, relationship. And I fully on board with them and their relationship and how screwed up they are (laughs) and how they're trying so hard. It's very different. I absolutely believe in them, those crazy kids. But Chrissy Chappell is, I have literally never been more in love 
and have never related harder to Christine Chapel than during her song about how what she just wanted was to be celebrated for how awesome she is at her job. And we have talked so often about how Star Trek overlooks nurses. And here is Christine going, I am a great nurse and I am a great nurse researcher, which is a field that's widely overlooked. And I want to be celebrated and acknowledged for that. And I deserve it. I deserve it. Yeah. The freedom that she takes to say, I have been waiting for this. And I didn't think it was ever going to happen and it's happened and I am going to be happy about it. And I don't yeah. actually care how anyone else feels about it. That is so powerful. Yes, I love it. And it actually is in no way against Spock. Like, if she's not saying no! that her life is more important than Spock's. Is not saying that her happiness is more important than Spock's. She's not saying that her job is more important than the relationship. None of that happens. Maybe that's what he heard, but that's because he is emotionally immature. Yes. You warned me that fandom would be insane about Christine, and you were correct. I was very right. I knew it. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I watched that song and the last line where it's like, if I have to leave you behind, I'm ready. Mm. And I was like, fandom is going to turn her into the villain Mm -hmm. they're going to hate her forever and i have to prepare myself for this because i need to not get into fights on the internet about how christine is the best and, (laughs) and everyone is wrong it's definitely good that i spent the weekend in the country with no internet because I saw some nonsense on Tumblr and I did not respond to any of it because I could not load the page to reblog. And like, okay, not to go back into charades and how Amanda and Christine were paralleled in that and how much I loved it, Mm. but Amanda would 130,000% be on Christine's side in this, despite the fact that she loves Spock and wants him to be happy Mm. and and it doesn't want any heartbreak. He's breaking his own heart. Christine yep. didn't do that. <laughs> T'Pring would also be on Christine's yes. side because T'Pring knows how easily Spock leaves her whenever he has an exciting career Starfleet opportunity come up without like- a second thought. But God forbid a woman make a, ch- a professional choice without prioritizing the fee-fees of the man in her life. That. That is the thing it, mm-hmm. that I'm so angry at fandom at. Like, fandom has to understand that Spock is not the be-all and end-all of the universe. And he can deal with it. Like, actually, Spock is very capable of understanding feelings mm-hmm. and, like, figuring it out. He yeah. is still young. He's baby Spock. He is going through a lot. But he can do it. I believe in him. Mm-hmm. And I am not inclined to sympathize with Spock for being sad about a situation he made up in his head. Yeah, he 100% made up in his head. I understand that he is emotionally immature. He's going through an emotional adolescence. All of that. I'm sorry. Developing the skills to deal with this is something that is part of becoming an adult. And 
the fact that he doesn't have these skills yet doesn't reflect great on him because I guarantee you Christine had to learn how to manage this sort of thing by the time she was 16 or 17 years old. Let's look at it from Christine's perspective for just a moment. I know that that's like... You never do that. Crazy. But let's look at it from Christine's perspective, okay? So she gets her relationship with Buck, and then Mm -hmm. she is told from future guy that Mm -hmm. she doesn't matter. And, like, Mm -hmm. regardless of if that's true or not, that's what she was told. That doesn't have to, like, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good, right? No. And then no. she is immediately thrown into post-traumatic stress from the war. Yes. And Spock being like, okay, I understand that you went through the war and that was really, really terrible, but isn't it more important that I'm feeling bad about it? <laughs> about you not being able to talk about it? Like, isn't, isn't that actually what we should be doing is I feel bad that you're not talking about it and therefore you should talk about it. And Buddy. then she gets her dream job. Which she thought had been snatched away from her because she was rejected by the Vulcans. Right. She thought she had a better chance at the Vulcan one because they took more people. Yeah. You know? This is like a, the height of her position. She didn't think she had a chance. And he wants her because of her brain, because of her work. Because Mm. of what she does and what she is instead of, like, how pretty she is or how compassionate she is or any of those other things, Mm. which are all great, Mm. but, like, are other things that she doesn't necessarily have control over. And Spock, again, (laughs) makes it all about him. Right. We gave Spock a lot of credit for his maturity in the last episode, and I think we spoke too soon. But also, this opportunity for Christine is a way for her to, you know, take what she experienced during the war and apply that trauma in a productive way. She really actually needs this psychologically. Exactly. Yes. She said... I need a little space. She didn't say, I want to break up. She didn't say, I never want to see you again. She didn't say, I hate you, Spock. She said, I need a little space. And you know what? Three months doing something else, putting their relationship on like, hey, we'll we'll come back at the end of three months and we'll talk about it. That is reasonable on so many levels. If they were grad students and she was doing field work, that would be normal. They're Starfleet officers and Spock has already had a long distance relationship with T'Pring. I don't understand why he's freaking out over three months. I think because it's because I think it's because of T'Pring. I think it's actually oh. that that failed. And so he is like freaking out because Right, of that. right. He's afraid that Christine is treating him the way he treated Dupring. Exactly. Mm, feels bad, doesn't it? <laughs> so okay, fine. Now we'll go into Spock's perspective. And and I do think that from Spock's perspective, he's afraid that he's losing her mm. because he lost Dupring or Dupring lost him. And also, again, to bring it back to Shirades, my favorite episode of the season, that he saw that his mother is willing to put up with being ostracized by a, a whole planet in order to stay with the person she loves. Yeah. And so I, I, I get it. I get Spock's 
emotional reaction. I just think that he overreacts and mm. this entire situation could be solved with a frank conversation. Right. I want to give credit to Ahura for secretly being a person who wants to watch the world burn because first <laughs> she opens the door and, and like triggers this emotional pop song from Christine and then just watches it happen and then she watches Spock's hole incel sad logic bro song and and at no point does she sing have you tried to have a conversation instead of just listening to the ideas in your head legitimately that is her entire purpose in this episode right right that's why i think this is a choice she made this is a choice like she's like like, (laughs) that and oh this white boy is dumping all of his feelings on me i'm not going to help more power to you, Aurora. Right, right. I need more of uh, that energy. You know, Tumblr has polls now, so every couple of days there's a which Starfleet captain would do X amazing thing. And Michael always loses, even though half the time she has done X amazing thing in canon. And I saw someone reblog it and point out this result for Michael and say this is why black women need to stop saving people. And then Ahura gets her whole song about how she stands alone and saves the ship and that's her role and she connects people but she has no connections herself. And I'm like, stop saving people, Ahura. Just save yourself. Also, no one looked at this and thought, hmm, maybe there's a problem with how we're writing Ahura. But let's go back to Spock. (laughs) Because we we can unpack Uhura's business in a minute. It will come. Uh, It will come. I just feel like I'm the ex, which turns out to be exes in the letter, like the algebra, not exes in I'm the ex-boyfriend. Although, you know, musicals. Obviously, (laughs) it's a pun. Right. It has a double meaning. Double meaning. I just feel like it's so cursed because first it comes out a couple of weeks after I'm Just Ken, which is a much, much, much better and smarter version of the same thing. And Mm -hmm. secondly, it comes out days after Twitter rebrands as X. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Spock. You have no Kennedy and you have no leg to stand on. And kudos to Ethan Peck for clearly doing a lot of like vocal training. He's worked very hard, but I have no time for you. I am going to be mad about this song for a while because I agree with everything you just said, but it's the same song as Christine's song on Mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. That was a choice that they made. And Spock doesn't figure out what Uhura figures out in her song. And I understand that like the story required Uhura to figure it out because that's what they wanted because Mm -hmm. they're stupid, but whatever. But Spock literally sings a song about equations. Right. The same song as Christine's song. And he doesn't figure out that you're supposed to put them together. And that is what makes an actual, like, it it makes me crazy. I hate it. It (laughs) makes Spock look stupid. Exactly. Which is obviously bad. And... I kind of have an issue with a Uhura single-handedly saving everyone, but single-handedly saving everyone because Spock is stupid. Like, it 
feels tokenistic rather than something that truly serves the character. And think back on Children of the Comet or literally any interaction between Spock and Uhura in TOS. This should have been them collaborating as musicians. Exactly. It hurts me. Like, mm, on, a, on mm. a fundamental level, it is the reason that I cannot, like, I I fully enjoyed watching this episode, but if I think about it for, like, four seconds, mm. I get angry. And I and and can't just say, yeah, I like it, and it's great, and it's yeah. a good episode. Like, I, I cannot, because of this one thing oh, no, that... No. that bothers me to no end because he 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 should sing a song and then Uhura said wait a minute and they like finish each other's sentences figuring yes. out the problem and it's like it doesn't take anything away from Uhura to have this realization be collaborative between her and Spock and it makes Spock look like less of an asshole because as it is he just sings about how sad he is and then leaves Uhura alone he yes. could have been there he could have been there to witness her claiming her power because, of course, she does it alone. Hate it so much. And why did we set up Spock's loot and his practicing his music through the season, if not to establish that he and Ahura both have this skill set and they just need to get out of their heads and work together? like they put all the pieces on the board and then they threw it in the trash (laughs) i don't understand why Mm, i don't understand mm. any of the choices that were made in the last 10 minutes because no no it doesn't make sense to me none of uhura could have had her big ballad Mm -hmm. with spock there like what if spock was there he could have sung backup what and that would have been so much stronger to have right. the most Star Trek man of all Star Trek men mm. fighting back up to Uhura's song. Yeah. It would yeah. have been so much more powerful than her singing a song literally about being solo. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. I, I, like this, this one thing ruins the entire episode for me. No, no. For me, the episode just completely falls apart after Christine's song, much like Spock does. And it's very frustrating because, like you said, all the pieces are there. It could have been easily fixed. Again, and I've been saying this all season, what if the writers had more time to work on things and revise? And, hi, there's a strike happening for that sort of... Anyway. It's so blatant. Mm, mm. That... You know, if they just thought about it for a little bit longer. And so I have in my notes here that that um, Elsa's song is better. Yes. So uh, what I mean by that is obviously Frozen and Elsa yes. and Let It Go. Yes. I mean, as also, villain songs go, Let yeah, It Go is. is. Is peak villain song. And it also involves math. But also fandom doesn't get it. Mm. You know? Mm. Like they really see "Let It Go" as this is not a villain song, as as a, as I mean, a it's a very empowering anthem. Yeah. yeah, but it's about what Spock does. Yeah, Spock yeah. pulling back and saying, "Oh, actually, I am going to refuse to interact with people, and that's mm. the way to protect myself." It is actually mm. the same song. 
as Let It Go. And Let It Go is an amazing song and it should empower you. If you feel empowered by Let It Go, great. Wonderful. I love you. Mm. However, (laughs) the actual thesis of that song is I am going to go away from civilization because they won't accept me. And it's better to be away from them than to convince them that they should accept me. And that is literally what Spock does. And that's Mm. kind of what Spock does in his TOS arc until he becomes, you know, full Spock and accepts himself. I got scolded on Tumblr for calling Spock an incel logic bro. But if you watch the original series, he really hates women. It is purely that 1960s thing of women are emotional and irrational and Kirk is the more enlightened guy because he thinks women maybe have something to contribute. And people are saying, oh, that's how Spock gets from Strange New Worlds to TOS. TOS Spock, I love him, obviously, he's great. But he is kind of an incel. And there is a reason so many male Trekkies, who are also kind of incel-y, really thinks that that specific Spock is the Spock. Like, again, we're just going to remind everybody that Ethan Peck is my Spock. Mm -hmm. I love Leonard Nimoy, but TUS Spock is not my Spock. Where are you in your TUS rewatch? Uh, I watched Return of the Archons last week and I was like, this is stupid and I don't understand why Lower Decks came back to this. <laughs> well, my favourite Spock is in The Way to Eden. Really? Mm-hmm. That is very controversial. No, no, but that episode is <laughs> However, being cited a lot this week because that is a... musical. Yeah. <laughs> it involves singing. Spock is amazing <laughs> in that episode. He is fully pop socialist Spock. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love him. And so I wanted that Spock in, yeah. in this musical. Like, I wanted that Spock. And instead I got Bad Ken. Bad who Ken. Is, who is stupid and mean. <laughs> like, straight up mean to Christine in their final bit like i have a gif of christine you know spock basically just refuses to interact with her and moves away Mm. and it's like i you know i'm done with you and christine looks sad and then puts on a happy face and i was like again i have never felt more seen in my life than this this moment Mm. of my heart is breaking and i am not gonna let anyone know (laughs) Which I think is Christine all the way down. And I'm so sad that she's going to do this Corby fellowship and it's going to end with her going into the Corby girlfriend zone. I hate Corby so. Like, I know. Like, I preemptively hate Corby. I can't even handle the fact that we're going there. Like I was trying to convince myself it would be okay if they cast someone awesome. But I think that the reality is we can't. They can't cast anyone that I will like. I think the problem with Tom Hiddleston as Corby is that I'm going to enjoy watching him suffer and die so much more. Yeah, that's what you need. The fact that they wasted James Gallus on Maurice Picard when they could have held him for Roger Corby and make Roger Corby like a worthy person, a slightly worthy person. I am upset and I'm angry at Spock because I blame Spock for the entire situation. 
I blame the patriarchy (laughs) and (laughs) the heteronormative agenda of Strange New Worlds, which is so strong that in the big song and dance number, uh, there are not even any same-sex dance couples. Okay. Yes? I I just watched it. Yes? Did you see some? In Christine's song. Yes. She dances with Erica Ortegas. And, okay, so so she's, she's singing... And she, mm-hmm. like, drops herself in between two women. I saw that. And the women are like, I'm totally into this girl. Mm-hmm. And they all cheers together. And I was like, bisexual Christine. <laughs> right I saw there. that. I see it. <laughs> and, like, I fully agree that the entire episode is heteronormative. But mm-hmm. the closest we get yeah, is in Christine's song, she has these random ladies. There are more women than men in that whole in that mm. whole thing. And the, the only man we really get any attention on is Sam Kirk, and he barely counts. No. <laughs> and she does, in fact, dance with Erica Ortegas. And also, I really liked Erica Ortegas. No, in same. this episode. I was like, I want more <laughs> Erica. What is wrong with me? <laughs> I was like, ooh. Ooh, Erica being like one thousand percent supportive. Mm. Erica knowing about the whole Spock thing. Mm, mm, <laughs> Erica mm. being fully in Christine's corner the entire time. Mm. More of that. <laughs> Truthfully, now that I have accepted that Erica is kind of not a nice person in some ways, and also maybe deliberately conceals her inner self from others, even more than Christine and La'an and Una. Like, there is nothing to Erica and that's how she likes it. I've kind of grown fond of her. It's weird, right? It, yeah. Also, why is every single woman on this ship hiding her true self while the men are out here just openly being the worst? Oh my gosh. What the? I didn't, your, your work. You're so mm. right, except mm. for a manga. He is also funny. I He's yes. a woman in this equation. Well, he's a black man. So, so therefore, obviously a, a woman. I was going to say I a different so category of masculinity. No, no. Like, again, we are a very misandrist podcast, but I look at the way Spike and Spock are written and I'm like, do the Strange New Worlds writers actually like men? Because their lead males are actually terrible. And on that note, Uhura at 22 is a better captain than Pike. Yes. So here's the the other reason that I hate the, the end. whole end of this is that this is not even the first episode where, where no. Uhura is a better captain than Captain Pike, captain of the flagship, mm. celebrated across the fleet, Captain Pike. Uhura is multiple times a better captain than Captain mm-hmm. Pike, and yet she is in the same position that she mm-hmm. is in right now at age 22 for literal decades. Right, right. And she should not have the responsibility that Pike puts on her. We save the firing the torpedoes and giving the inspirational speeches for the captain because they are the ones who need to take that responsibility. That is on their shoulders. like. Pike, to me, really feels like the boss who talks a good game and looks really good in the annual report, but the actual work is done by the most junior employees he barely acknowledges. Yeah, I'm going to say something amazing right now. Yes? I realised in this episode 
that Sam Kirk is not the worst because Pike no. exists. Mm. Mm. Yep. And that's bad. That's not good. Honestly, I mean, like, I think it's interesting. And if yes. if I if I believed even twenty percent that Strange New Worlds did it on purpose, mm. I I might I might get on board. Yeah. But the reality is they don't know mm. that Pike giving the responsibility of saving the day to Uhura mm. is not actually good leadership. It really is peak stepping back. Oh, the black women are doing all the work. They'll save us. I'm just going to stay here on Twitter. It is peak white male, well, also female, peak white liberal. What is happening? I'm seeing more and more complaints about how Pike has written this season. And I think part of it is that Anson Mount has had paternity leave. So he simply hasn't been available as much to lead episodes. But when he is around, this is not a ding on Mount. It's a ding no. on the writing. It's a, yeah. The writing for Pike is just simply not there. And it's Honestly. not even like we were complaining that Una is whatever the plot requires her to be. But even that is more satisfying than Pike just being a narrative jellyfish. Yeah. So, honestly, Anson Mount is doing his level best. Yeah. He is selling what is on the page as best he possibly can. He is fully committed. But the problem is that what is on the page is kind of awful. Yeah. And again, they, they don't know. They, they think that Pike... Putting Uhura on a pedestal is good. Mm. They think that that handing her the responsibility is is like a a win for black mm. women. Mm. And the reality is that they're setting her up. Yeah, and they're yeah. literally because we've seen like, we know what happens to Uhura. If we didn't know what happened to Uhura, it would be mm. a different conversation. Then it would be like, yes. oh, cool, she's gonna be the youngest captain. It's not gonna yeah. be Captain Kirk. She's going to be the captain of the Enterprise. She's the one that, that Pike is mentoring to become the captain of the Enterprise. Awesome. I love it. That is not what is happening. Because we no. know what happens to Uhura, and she gets stuck here in this one spot forever. She's going to make lieutenant, and then she's going to be lieutenant for decades. She is getting Harry Kimmed. You know, there are moments in Voyager where Harry takes command or, you know, Janeway is mentoring him, but he never gets past Ensign. This is basically what's happening to Uhura. And there was a post on Tumblr pointing out the parallels between Uhura and Michael. They both lost their families. They've both lost, lost their brothers. They both save everyone. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really nice parallel. What if they find a different story to tell about black women? And... I feel like in some ways with Ahura, they're trying not to do the thing where they make the black character earn their success. You know, Michael has to go three seasons before she can be the captain. And I can see that, but she also shouldn't be catapulted into these roles with no support. She can't be doing a captain's job on a brand new ensign's salary. It's, it's just this thing. And it's like, okay, so... I am on the record as loving prequels, mm -hmm. but this series has a real prequel problem. Yeah, because yeah. they are not writing to the existing canon. They are mm -hmm. like, we're gonna tell this great story about Uhura and how amazing she is, and you didn't know she was so amazing. Look how amazing she is, and it's like, yeah, she's amazing. 
why does Starfleet keep her in a box forever? Why does she yeah. never get to actually grow to her potential? Mm. Like, that's not actually better. That makes Starfleet racist and sexist forever. Like, Well, it's basically the problem what? we also have with Christine, where she is now the character that she is going to be through all of TOS. And we said this at the end of season one, too, that they have both achieved their canon states and really don't have much room for evolution beyond that. I think the same is actually true for Spock, but he has further to go and we have a bit more flexibility because they're doing interesting things with him. Are they well executed interesting things? No. And also Pike, like we, we, we say, you know, Pike comes out of the Academy fully formed, but that's the problem. He has nowhere to go until his accident. Exactly. So that's why I have my, my line here that Strange New Worlds is simultaneously the best mm. and the worst thing to ever happen to Uhura or Christine and potentially mm. Spock, honestly. Yeah. And Pike. And Pike. I love what they're doing with Christine. Mm. I am so happy that they're spending so much attention on how great Uhura is. Like, yeah. The, bo both of them, I already knew that. Like we said this before, I already knew that. Yep. I didn't, you didn't need to tell me, but you needed to tell everybody else. And I'm thrilled that you are telling everybody else. But because we are stuck with a show that was mm. made at the, you know, in the 1960s, was conceived in the 1960s, it's never going to get past that. No. It, it can't no. because it's stuck there. And like, all I want is for them to be like, just kidding. <laughs> we're just gonna redo all of TOS. The reason that we're introducing Kirk is because we're actually gonna redo every episode and make it better and fix all those problems. And like there mm. aren't even any problems. Like there's plenty of problems, but there are there's nothing wrong inherently with TOS. It's just no, it's just product just... of its time. Honestly, I think what Strange New Worlds needs to do is shift focus away from Pike and the TOS characters and go in harder on Una and Erica, Erica. and La'an and, you know, Pelia and the people whose fates are not already written because we know where everyone else ends up it's and so... they're kind of speed walking there. It's so weird that they don't mm. spend any time on Erica or Tegas. It's so weird. It's really, really weird. Here is a character we know nothing about mm. that you could do anything with. Right. She could end up running Starfleet, and we have no idea. And, she and, could... and I would fully believe it if you, like, mm -hmm. just put any efforts mm -hmm. into telling that story. Yeah. She could marry a Gorn next week. No, I want Marie Battelle to marry a Gorn. I appreciate that you were like, you know what? The Gorn are not only not the villains, <laughs> they are worth marrying. I like that. That's no, good. no, I saw a Tumblr post that said Marie Battelle should just leave Spock and marry a nice Gorn and they can become the Amanda and Sarek of the Gorn hegemony. And that's all I want <laughs> okay. for her. Okay, I need to know if you mean Marie Battelle should leave Pike or if you mean Christine Chapel should leave Spock. Uh, I meant Pike, but actually both of them. They can both okay. marry nice Gorns. They can both marry nice Gorns. They can marry the same Gorn if they want. Like okay. whatever consenting adults... Please, 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 for me, mm -hmm. draw Christine Chapel and the Gorn's wedding. Please, okay. Please. I need this. 
I need this in my life. Lower Decks. Lower Decks gave us a gourd wedding, so I have something to work off. I'll do this for you. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Katrina Cornwell, like Dr. Mbenga, who she could also date, I would be. I'd be oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Is extremely disinterested in singing. Mm. However, she used to use ballet as a way mm. to keep her anxiety under control when she was young. Mm. And so Christina Cornwell is doing the ballet version of Subspace Rhapsody. I love this, but also you just said Christina Cornwell, and I oh think God. that is some kind of transporter accident waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I, I mean, think... that was like that was one of those you know slips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoops. Uh, I think she is singing, and she is rhyming psychiatry and impropriety and impropriety. Anyway, that's as far as I got. I like it. Yeah, but also when Marie Battelle is horribly murdered by the plot, uh, she will wake up and be alive and well and dating Katrina Cornwell. And yes! very nice for them. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at Antimatterpod and on Mastodon at antimatterpod.10forward.social. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us approximately next week when we will be discussing the season finale of Strange New Worlds Season 2, Hegemony.